Hey, everybody. Welcome to Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and I'm so happy you're here with us. If you're just joining for the first time, I am a special needs mom, a special needs attorney, and a best-selling author. So please grab your coffee, and if you're like me, you might be listening in your car. I spent a lot of time in the car in my day. And please join us for some important discussions to help you thrive in this complex special needs world. Each week, we're going to chat with parents and experts, and sometimes parents who are experts, to offer compassionate advice for all stages of your life. These are the conversations you would have with your best friend if your best friend was an expert like me. Let's go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. This week, my guest is Jessica Shields. She is out of California, and she is a school psychologist. So the wonderful thing about Jessica is her amazing positive attitude and the fact that uh, she just goes for it. She has a private practice as well as working in the school system in one of the busiest counties in um, in the LA area. And I definitely learned something from Jessica. See, this is why I love to do this podcast because I get to talk to people who I would normally not ever meet and I get to learn something new from everybody and dig into subjects that I find fascinating and also so relevant for my life and my practice. I hope that you're enjoying these episodes as much as I am. So as I was talking with Jessica, it made me reflect a lot on what it means to create our team, our support team in our families, whether you are a disabled individual, a caregiver, or a professional in the disability community, this idea of bringing a supportive team together, what we call our circle of care, is it's not new, but at the same time, I think that it's going through an enormous overhaul right now since the pandemic. I know that when my kids were growing up, I definitely did not feel that the school system was part of our team. I felt adverse to them. And so since my conversation with Jessica, I've been thinking a lot about this idea that many of the folks that serve our family, we feel are at odds with our family. And why is that? Well, sometimes it's true, Um, and there's certainly scarce resources, and that includes both financial as well as people. And also, a lot of times, people don't have the, the knowledge to bring to the table to assist us in the way that we need, and we just need to be that expert for our team, for our family. We've got to be the quarterback. And sometimes there can be a push-pull with both schools and school personnel, uh, adult service agencies, and government agencies. And, you know, this idea of who's in charge here and who's the expert. So I think that we are starting to get it right. I think we're starting to do better at this. And I think that the more confident 
the caregiver or the individual is who is leading and quarterbacking the team, the more comfortable they are with that position, the more comfortable and confident everybody will be in them and in their skills to lead the way. In my business, I pull together a team of experts all the time. And if I find somebody that I'm working with doesn't have mutual respect as well as a mutual idea of you know where we're going, what our goals are, I just politely move on to the next professional. That's not so easy to do in our family situations. We are sometimes stuck with the team that we're given, with that you know person who is identified by the government agency as our caseworker, with the individual in the team, you know, whether it's a teacher or social worker or your school psychologist, we are really just somewhat dealt the cards and we have to play that hand that we've been dealt with and we can't always maneuver like I can in my business. And that can be very frustrating to feel like you don't have that level of control. But the conversation that I had with Jessica just made me reflect back um, and recognize that we do have control. We still have control. We're still the experts. We still know what we need. We still know what we're looking for. And I really hope that this episode sparks some thoughts in you as well and also helps you regain your confidence to lead your team. Yes, you definitely have the right and should come to the table with questions and concerns and also requests. But at the same time, try to come to the table with solutions, with suggestions, and just take charge and lead that team in a positive, positive um, space so that you can get some momentum. So hoping you have a great week and here's Jessica. Welcome back podcast fans. I'm your host Annette Hines and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. Ooh, I'm so excited today because we have Jessica Shields with us and I have given you all her glory points before we got on this podcast, but I am also presenting today at a national conference on special education, transition. There's about a thousand people waiting to hear me speak in about two hours. And I am super excited to talk with Jessica because she is a licensed educational psychologist. And this topic is so hot and heavy on my mind right now. Welcome, Jessica. Hi, Annette. I'm so glad to be here. Wow. And I'm so proud of you for being an advocate and getting in front of so many parents and educators and other advocates for the need to push for certain special education support for our kids. So thank you. Well, thank you right back at you. So I'm just going to jump right in because I always run out of time. I have so much to say and so many things to ask. Um, One of the best things about doing a podcast, and Jessica's a podcaster too, is that I get to meet so many people and I have such a thirst for knowledge. So I invite all the people and all of the topics into my show that I'm interested in learning about. So this is very exciting for me. 
So just give us a little bit of background about, you know, you as an educator and a licensed educational psychologist. You've got decades of experience. How did you get into this field? Tell us a little bit about your family. Well, I'll start with, let me start with the family because that's the most fun part. (laughs) Um, I am a parent and I have four children and I have one in college and one in preschool and two in between. Wow. (laughs) So, um, you know, I, yeah. So it's boy, girl, boy, boy. And all of them are very unique, which parents of multiple children know that they're very unique and they all have their own needs and desires. And, you know, my oldest son, he struggled a little bit in school, but hey, look, he's in college now. We did it, you know? (laughs) And I have two more who are um, very, very gifted and they're all gifted, but these are the other two are identified as gifted. So uh, people who don't know or don't have children in that program might not know that they also have their own set of challenges. And it, it, it can be a struggle for them too, just because they're uh, very, very highly gifted and it is a little bit different for them. Um, and then I have my five-year-old who will be in kindergarten in the fall and he has some communication and speech delays. So he's in a special education program himself. So I've experienced navigating uh, special education and services and supports for my own kids at all those different levels. Wow. But, and you ask me about what my background is. And let me tell you, I'm an insider. So <laughs> I started off as a teacher and I taught English for eighth grade. And then I went on to high school to do it for ninth grade. <laughs> oh, those are tough years. Those they are kids. Oh, my goodness. They so are tough. Drama. They are tough. <laughs> yes, all the time. And yeah. um, and for me, I work in inner city schools. So you talk about they're already having a tough time just with their emotions and their hormones. Add that to the poverty and the violence. So mm-hmm. working with them, it was it was just a pleasure just being able to teach them and open their eyes and their minds to a world that they may not have known if I didn't teach it to them. Um, So I did teach for close to a decade, but somewhere in there, I felt like I could make a bigger difference if I were able to do something a little different, you know, teaching, teaching, it became so, (laughs) I would say it became so mundane at some point because I had my systems down and I was like, okay, boy, I don't have anything to do. These kids are running themselves. And you were missing the challenge. I was missing the challenge. And even though behavior is always a challenge, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the challenge I was missing. Yes. <laughs> but I did look into some other way that I could help. And I uh, kind of stumbled upon school psychology. And Annette, I'm going to tell you, These are the careers that our young people don't know about when you're in high school or middle school. Nobody's saying, hey, why don't you become a school psychologist? Hey, why don't you be a speech pathologist? Like, it's almost like, what is that? You know, so there is a push at the national level to start recruiting at the high school level. So from the National Association of School Psychologists, there is a big push now. Yeah. Um, because we want them to know that this is another way you can work at education. So I did do that. 
because I wanted to make a, a different type of impact. And I, I did go through my program, you know, I got my credential and I still work in the same district that I taught in. So that was a blessing. It was a it was a blessing because I know the community. That's great. But you know what? Like you asked me, how did I get to licensed educational psychologist? Well, that is just an added layer of of pro, uh, professional development for me. So this is the next level where you get to have your private practice. So nice. I can do all the same things I do for schools for private families. So yeah, I hope that explains a little bit about my journey and who I am. Absolutely. And are you seeing private private folks as well and coaching them along? Yes. So my private practice is a little bit different because I still work in schools. And mm -hmm. let me just be honest in that. I don't want to go to work and do all the testing all day and then go home and do it. And do it again. Yes. So that's why... For me, I wanted to do something a little different. I saw a gap with parent education, and that is why I started my company, Stronger Minds, Stronger Youth, so that I can have the opportunity to coach parents yes. who may be struggling to um, find ways to get their child help uh, with reading and writing. Their child may be struggling with reading and writing, and that's what I coach them with how to get the right supports in place to show them a different way that they can meet those needs and get their child better uh, reading and writing and performing overall in school. So that's what I do. I love that, which is why I love interviewing you today. So just um, so that we can back up one second, can you just explain a little bit more fully what role does the school psychologist play? What do they do in the school system for children? I'm glad you asked that question because um, even though I work in the schools, that is still a question that even employees have. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> My family That's members. Not good. That's not good, Jessica. <laughs> what exactly do you do? Oh and I say God. that, I say that because they see us doing so many things, they're not quite sure mm -hmm. where to categorize us or what box to put us in. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if they only see one aspect a lot of the times, um, and that is the testing. So right. when they see us do things outside of that, they're like, oh, you can do that too? Yes, we can. So I'll talk a little bit about what that is, but I, I just wanted to play around with that question because <laughs> it's it's a joke in our field. <laughs> well, oh what exactly gosh. do you do? I put out that, fires. That's what that I do. Crazy. <laughs> but for parent, uh, for a parent who's listening, I want you to know that the school psychologist is a resource. Number one, a resource. If your child is having problems. Um, with bullying, school mm -hmm. psychologist is a resource. Your okay. child's having problems with uh, study skills, self-esteem. If your child's having problems learning and you've done everything you could do and the school has done everything they can do, the school psychologist is a resource. If you're not sure where to get family help, if you're not sure where to get um like therapy for your entire family or get your child connected to a therapist in your area, the school psychologist can help you. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and also, if your child is already in special education and you're not sure about next steps or what you should be preparing for in the future to, yeah. you know, like conservatorship, those things like that, um, where to go, Department of Rehabilitation, all the resources that you need to make sure your child is set and thriving and supported as they're aging, the school psychologist can help you. So don't be, uh, don't be afraid to ask to speak to the school psychologist if you are encountering any types of problems. We're here to guide parents. We're here to connect you to the community resources, to wow. the um to the school resources, because a lot of times we are in the know of who does what, who you need to talk to, where you need to go, what the phone number is, how to make an appointment. We know these things. That is our really, that is a really big role. We're not just testing for special education. Yes, we do that, Mm -hmm. but we also are investigating your child's brain, how they best learn, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, how can we focus on the strengths to support the learning in the learning environment. And of course, we deal with behavior, emotional disturbance. We do therapy in the schools. So you're doing one-on-ones as well with, yes. with children. Okay. Yes, absolutely. So the school psychologist can play so many different roles in your child's life and to help really support them to get through that education and get set up for when they are no longer of school age. And I believe it's 22. If you're in special education, you can stay in K-12 until you're 22. So we're for most, help. most states. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just want to point out one thing to our audience. So Jessica's in California and in California, they call guardianship conservatorship. So you are conserved if you're under guardianship in California. So I just want to point that out. Uh, many other you. places call conservatorship, uh, use conservatorship over finances um, or don't even use that term at all. So oh, okay. just, we have a, a nice national audience. And I just wanted to point out that when she says conservative conservatorship or conserved, she means guardianship. And I'm glad so, you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did not know in all of my decades of experience that you could rely on the school psychologist for all of those resources. That's amazing. I I really have to ask though, I mean, most of the time I, I, can, I see the school psychologists really bogged down. I mean, they're testing and going to team meetings every day, that IEP team meeting. How do you find time to do all of the other meat of your job which is so important. I mean, testing is important, but it's really all about testing to stay, you know, in line with the regulations. But testing as a way of finding out what students need, working with parents and families, making those resource referrals, meeting one-on-one, how do you fit all that into a school day? (laughs) How do you do that? Um, is magical. No, <laughs> <laughs> I bet it is. That's why people don't really understand what we do because we're doing so many things. Right. But I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Let me just speak for my district, and then I'll think about how other districts do it. But for my district, we have school psychologists 
hired specifically for the therapy and the assessment for in school therapy. So that is called the educationally related mental health services team. So those school psychologists are doing more of the therapy. So I will collaborate with them and say, Hey, I have a kid who I really believe could benefit or really needs Mm. this type of therapy. Um, Let me go ahead and fill out the referral form that they have for us to fill out. It's a protocol. And let's um, go ahead and um, put this kid on your caseload to do an assessment. So we collaborate and we do that. And of course we have a meeting to see if they meet the eligibility or the meeting. Always the with the meetings. The it meetings has to be the meetings. meetings. <laughs> it has to be. It's legal, legally binding, right? Meetings and documentation. Yes. So we do that. So it's not like I'm doing all the therapy in my district. We have a set of school psychologists assigned to that. And even where I live, they have a set of school psychologists assigned to that. So you can be hired as a school psychologist that does that side of the house. And then, of course, there's the other side of the house where we're doing the assessments. We're involved in the uh, student study team meetings or like at least consultations. So we're doing more of that other side of the house. So we split the duties. It just depends on who it is. But nevertheless, if you go to the one that is at your child's school site, then they can still connect you to the other side of the house. They can still okay. connect you to the resources. We are the connectors sometimes to different resources. And I forgot to mention crisis team. Oh my God. Yeah. Student death, teacher death, employee death, um, any major crisis. And let me tell you, in my district, we've had a major crisis where there was a, a, a very very, um, there was a, a, a shooting at one of our schools and oh, it wow. made national news. So we did have to deal with that for quite some time. And there's still some of that that's still being dealt with, um, as you know, as the years have gone by, cause that was in 2017. And so, yeah, we made national news twice, um, within two years because of uh, mass shooting. So in our wow. district, uh, crisis team is very important. So we're part of the crisis team and thank goodness as volunteer, but, um, and those days it was not volunteer, like your school psychologist, we need you go. <laughs> so, yeah, but that's what we do. And we have to be able to put things down and go, you know, drop everything and go, because that's what, that's what we're here for. We're here to help, um, individuals get through trauma it's so much. So I hope that answered the question because I thought about that and I was like, I need to talk about that too. Wow. That's, that's great. Do they have that at the college level as well? Do you know? I do know. Um, but I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna answer that question. What I was going to say is some districts, the school psychologists will do the therapy and the testing, but the caseloads cannot be so high. So for my district, our caseloads are much higher. So that's why we have these two by two sections yeah. um, and you know it's very purposeful and and all districts usually have uh erms what we call erms or educationally related mental health services team they may just do assessments but the school psychologist at the site might still do the therapy so just want to clarify that um mm-hmm. also what i wanted to say is that 
you, going back to that, that the question you just asked me, which was remind me again, I forgot already. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I wanted to know if this um, occurs at the college level, especially for yes. transition programs that are, you know, college based, because it's very different in college. There's no mandated services anymore. So right. do, you, do you know if this carries forward into college for some of our students? Um, so when they get to college, they really have to connect uh, with the department that handles 504s and uh, any type of accommodations. And every single college has one because they have to. And they also have their own assessment teams there. And so if you've never been identified, you can get assessed in college and then get the supports and accommodations that you need. As far as crisis and how that works, usually colleges will have their counseling programs and counseling departments because colleges typically will have somewhere where students can go and get support. Those are the people that typically um, will reach out and, and support with the mental health need. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So it sounds organized mm-hmm. in your district. And I know that you're involved at the national level with your, with your peer group. Do you know what, what it's like and what, what varies around the country as far as, you know, different school districts and the way their school psychologists operate? Uh, you know, it's really hard because it's so vast. Like everybody's doing something different. Every state is doing something different. Some states push inclusion. Some states don't. And just to clarify, inclusion is like if you have a child with um, some significant needs, but they're still in general education, that would be inclusion versus having them in a separate classroom. It's just so different everywhere. But one story that kind of breaks my heart um, that I've heard recently It's from a small rural town and they only have one school psychologist and they don't have like the person doesn't have enough time to do the assessments the way that it should be done. Mm -hmm. And so in the high school where a child needs to be tested, like a full psychoeducational evaluation, maybe it's their first time being referred, they may not get assessed by a school psychologist. And to me, it's ridiculous and it's Mm -hmm. not fair to the child, to the family, but they're so spread thin that they don't have enough resources. And that's just in a rural town. So it's really easy everywhere. That gets back to how school districts are funded and they're funded so differently in every state. Some are funded by their property tax. Some are funded by, you know, other, other means. And that's very, very challenging for, you know, smaller school districts and more rural school districts, not just because they don't have access to a professional, but because they also don't have the funding mm-hmm. to get the proper uh, staffing that they need. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's I just a find it a, on. <laughs> yeah, I do find it a disservice. And like I said, it breaks my heart. And um, And sometimes they don't even have the same resources that we have. They don't know maybe the director doesn't even know what a BCBA is, a board certified behavioral um, uh, analyst. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those things are very critical when we're looking at behaviors and, and if they don't even know what that is, that's very 
disturbing to me. And you're performing the FBAs, right? The functional behavior analysis, yes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes for certain cases, we have our BCBAs do it, but the school psychologist also does that too. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Okay, because not every student um, falls into the category of a BCBA and what they would do. Um, so it just depends. Uh, we save hours for high profile cases. Let's just go ahead and be honest. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we're not going to talk about what school district you're in. So, um, <laughs> but it, but it is because of the caseload. So we want them to really. They do support and we do consult with them. So I'll meet and they may come out and take us some data to help. But as far as like doing the entire thing all by themselves, it's for the ones that are high profile, like very involved attorneys, you know, advocates. So they have to do those because there's so many and it's just no way that two people can serve an entire district and do a good Mm -hmm. job. So of course I'm trained to do it too. So yeah, I can do that. Right. That is heartbreaking, though. Again, it's always about we don't have enough. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not getting served well. Um, So President Biden just signed a budget finally that included an increase, but not nearly enough, but still an increase in Mm. IDEA um, funding. So. It's going to be interesting to see if this helps loosen up some of the, you know, some of the funding crisis that school districts are having because it is a federal and state partnership after all. Right, right. So tell me about, um, for parents, how can a school psychologist help the child be successful in school? I mean, we kind of talked around about this, but let's get real specific. You know, what how are we um, really working together with the school psychologist for student success? So one thing that comes to mind, first of all, if the school psychologist is providing therapy, you're going to get those progress reports. You want to continue to maintain that communication. So making sure that there's that open line of communication back and forth, because that person is going to see your student, your child, more often than a person who comes in and assesses and is done, you know? Right. So if they're getting therapy, some type of one-to-one or group counseling session, that is uh, definitely a chance to build some type of relationship. So I just want to clarify that because we do do uh, group (laughs) counseling. (laughs) Um, Also another way to really connect. So if your child is getting assessed, for example, and you're going through the process, they, uh, if your school psychologist is calling you to interview you, make sure you answer the phone and you participate in that. In that. If they're sending rating scales home, participate. Please fill those out. Get those back to them because that cool. doesn't always happen. These are great tips. Yes, because we're looking to see how 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 your child performs at home compared to the school. And then we're going to base our recommendations around all the information you're giving us. And, and we, we know that that can be very different too. School performance versus home performance can be miles apart. Miles. Right. Right. 
So, you know, a lot of times parents input is not valued. Um, Do you feel that the school psychologist is a place to actually value and respect parental input? We're begging for it. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I said what I said, because we're begging. We're we're like, please, I want this back. Hey, friendly reminder. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you know, but parents are very, very busy and families are very busy. And when you're dealing with disability mm -hmm. and other special needs, it, it's very overwhelming all the time. Yes. It's hard to do those extra things, but if people know how important it is, which is why I do this podcast, you know, you know, maybe they can prioritize it over other things. And it doesn't have to take too long. It's just a few rating scales. Every three years, you're going to be filling it out anyway. Just get ready. But also those recommendations are based on what we have seen as your child's strengths, where we see that they need a little bit more support. And those recommendations are definitely tailored to help you at home, to help the teacher in the classroom, to make sure that we're supporting the student uh, full circle, whole child support. Fantastic. For an older student, how can a school psychologist help them to become a better self-advocate and have more confidence in their, you know, their ability to speak for themselves and to plan for their lives? You know, as a school psychologist, depending on the district, because, again, if it's a larger district, you're not going to get that high touch um, one to one. You know, you're not going to get that high touch. But for some districts, you do. And there is a little bit more involvement. But make it a goal. Number one, put it in the IEP as a goal. You can have a self-advocacy goal and work towards it. Yes. And that is where. The teacher's working on it. Everybody's working on it. And you can see progress towards it because self-advocacy is so important as they're aging. They need to be able to speak for themselves, ask for themselves, uh, know how they best learn and say, hey, I need this so that I can uh, study. Advocating is just so critical. Self-advocating is so critical as a child is aging because they need those skills in order to be successful and to ask for what they need. That's what makes them successful. It's going to be critical for uh, advanced education, for work, for independent living. It's just going to be critical. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. our students learn differently. That's why they're in special ed and they need that extra support to navigate these things. I think it's hard enough on traditional, typical students. The world has changed so much, you know, but to add a disability on top of that, it's Mm -hmm. a lot. It's a lot to navigate and they need the extra help and the extra support to learn those skills. Right. Absolutely. But when we do that, it avoids guardianships, conservatorships in California. It (laughs) avoids um, parents you know, continuing to be the voice and allows that student voice to shine through. So it's so important and it's definitely on the landscape and what we're all looking at nationally to really ensure student success and young adult success. Absolutely. um, Those are great tips. 
And of course, I'm running out of time. <laughs> I told you that was going to happen. <laughs> I did want to, I know you're running out of time, but I did want to clarify a little bit about a licensed educational psychologist. So I do want to say that that is only in the state of California where we have licensed educational psychologists. Other states, probably just a clinical psychologist. And I'm not sure what the equivalent would be everywhere else. But okay. we're in private practice. Just keep in mind, private practice, uh, the psychologist is able to give a diagnosis. In schools, we don't diagnose. We go yes. based on ed code. So I just wanted to clarify. But in that private practice, so, yeah, that's diagnosis. So Mm-hmm. Because sometimes families don't understand why they have to go do something else besides what they're getting offered at school. And this is a really good segue because this is going to be my last question for you. You okay. are just reading my mind, girlfriend. Okay. So the last thing that I wanted to ask was to really help us compare what that, you know, private psychologist, outside psychologist or psych- psychologist psychological team, I guess, mm-hmm. can do for you that's different than what you're getting at school. So can we talk about that for a minute before I totally run out of time here? Oh, yeah. So, okay. So let me tell you, there's so many things. <laughs> uh, a licensed educational psychologist or someone outside of the school psychologist, like clinical psychologist, they can, or we, <laughs> we can diagnose and we do the same assessments. I mean, it's the same assessment. So we we do the same thing, but we can now diagnose it. It could be billed to Medicaid or Medi-Cal in California. It can um, um, be paid for by your school district through an, uh, an independent evaluation, yes. uh, educational evaluation, so IEE. And that goes to an outside person. They're neutral. They're not for you or the district, they're just, hey, I'm here to do a job, right? Mm-hmm. And so they can also, they will attend that one IEP meeting to report out their results and their recommendations and to also share what the diagnosis is if they found one. So that is really the difference. It's that neutral voice who has, you know, schools are full of politics. Let's just be real. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. they're neutral voice and they are just here to do a job and the results are the results. So you yes. can feel confident that they're not like on the principal side or, you know, <laughs> it's just neutral. That That's true. I mean, not to say that all people who work in a school district are towing the party line. They're there for the students, you know, mm-hmm. they're but the awesome. feeling that the parent may have. Yeah. Not that it's true, but it's the feeling like, oh, you guys are all together. You're in cahoots, you know, I need an outside evaluation. So it might be their feeling. You mentioned that some of what you do, which I so applaud, is parent and family coaching. And so talk to me a little bit about that, about your your organization and what you're doing outside of the school district and how that's different. So what I do is I provide a lot of education for parents not just special education, because I like to start before they need to be uh, assessed or referred for assessment. I'm really big on prevention. So what can we do to get your child where they need to be so that they don't necessarily need special education services? But if they do, I also coach you through that process as well. So really focusing on how to empower the parent 
how to give the parent the tools to advocate from their child's strengths so that their child is better at reading and writing, overall performance, Mm -hmm. or just making progress on their goals for our children in special education. So really coaching them through that. And that's with my company, Stronger Minds, Stronger Youth. And you can find me at StrongerMindsStrongerYouth.com. And I also have a podcast. Yes. (laughs) Parent Them Successful. It's so cool. ParentThemSuccessful.com will take you straight there. And it's just like what you're doing. But mine is more of a generalist perspective. When You're very uh, specific in, in, in how you're reaching parents. Mine is what I do anyway. As school psychologists, we do so many things. So my podcast is scholarships, career readiness. And what if your child's not talking? Like the whole gamut, because that's all, that's where I live. That's fantastic. I, I can't wait to put those links up in the show notes so that people can jump on and join you. These are the conversations that people need to be hearing. Absolutely. And podcasts are so great because you can listen to them anytime, like in the car when you're being the chauffeur, driving people 15 ways. Yes. That's what I used to do when my kids were younger. I was always in the car, always going somewhere, some appointment somewhere, (laughs) some recreation, something. It was always. Me too. (laughs) I wish that when my kids were younger, podcasts were a thing. They just weren't. But I would listen to all kinds of informational stuff, books on tape or you know, I'm sitting in my car for 45 minutes and waiting for, you know, the therapist appointment to be over and, you know, whatever. Those it are is. rough times, huh? They are, they are. <laughs> you know, I'm eating out of my car, I'm drinking out of my car, I'm trying to, you know, catch up on my sleep sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so parents, we got you. We know, we know we've been there. Yes. Um, well, actually, Jessica's still there. She has a five-year-old. I do. <laughs> <laughs> so um, listen, as we come to a close, I know we talked about a lot of different things today. Can we boil this down to like one or two really important tips for parents to remember as we're closing or even self-advocates who are listening, other family members, anybody who's in this field supporting these students? What is, you know, kind of boiled down your ultimate tip or two that we have to take away from today? I want to say don't underutilize the role of the school psychologist. Know that we are here to support. Know that we are here to provide you with community resources so that you are connected early on to what you need to be connected to so that your child has the best opportunities in the future. And please follow through. (laughs) Please follow through with the paperwork and with the recommendations. We really care and we're really here to help. So that that is what I would say. That's that's fantastic. Jessica, I can't thank you enough for being a guest. I learned so much and I am so excited to share you with other people on this podcast and in our journey here. So We have a group called Circle of Care. I am going to see if I can snag you to do a little 30-minute guest appearance um, at some point this year. Awesome. Awesome. That would be great. Everybody's going to love you so much. Um, Well, again, I thank you so much for coming on the show, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. 
Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.